just one of kings Better than none and ring That's why we're here to sing Football Sunday in the snow Referees whistle blows Weekend warriors toe to toe Football 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 Yes, yes, people, welcome along to the last of 2012, North London 40. Woo! My name is James Hamlin. My name is Inio Benigo. Welcome along, people, to the UK's number one NFL podcast, coming in your ears each and every week. For the last time in 2012, we are going to be breaking down an amazing week of NFL action. It was the last week of the regular season. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be previewing the playoffs, which start next week. And the good news is, Inye we got a brilliant special guest this week. We really, really do. Who do you think is the best person to talk about the NFL in the UK? You know what? I think we should find the person that was on Channel 4 last night, breaking down the last game of the season, the Redskins and the Dallas Cowboys. This bloke hasn't slept. He's been doing analysis all night. He's going to come on this pod and continue to analyse a great game and talk about the 2012 season. Yes, we're talking about the big dog himself, Mr. Mike Carlson. Last night's game on Channel 4 was probably the best commentated game I've seen all season. And, and not just from Nat and Mike, but also from Al and Chris. I'll agree with that. And shout to everybody that stayed up for that one late. It was great because it was a Sunday night game and there was no work to go to the next day. But there was lots and lots of people watching. Shout to all the people on Twitter that communicated with us that did the long stretch. It was really worth staying up. Playoff implications. Mm-hmm. Brilliant presentation. Some records were set. It was all good. But we're going to go into that. Some housekeeping before we start off. At NLDN40 on the Twitter. NorthLondon40.tumblr.com. Follow our Tumblr for all sorts of weird and wonderful Tumblr stuff. NorthLondon40 at gmail.com. Mixcloud.com forward slash NorthLondon40. And also find us on iTunes as well. Each and every week. Coming in your ears. onto your iPods, iPads, all that type of stuff. We are bringing you this stuff each and every week. So it's guest time. And for the last North London 40 of 2012, what a guest we have, people. We stored up the best for last, undoubtedly. In all sports, they have their real voice of the game. In Formula One, they have Murray Walker. Association Football has Motti. UFC has Joe Rogan. British-American football coverage has the man, Mr. Mike Carlson. Mike Carlson, how you doing? I sure wish I could do Murray Walker's voice. <laughs> well, that would be a, that would be the perfect end. I'm fine. It was a late night, obviously, um, with our last uh, Channel Four game on uh, on Sunday night, but it was a good one. It was worth it. It was. It really was. And you dressed up for the occasion as well. Uh, the bow tie got, I would say, overwhelmingly favorable responses. Yeah, I um, thought so. Although there yeah. were there were a couple of very virulent dissenters. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, but that's what the block button is for on Twitter. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I think there was a lot of post-Christmas booze being consumed there as well. There was just yeah, there was some weird stuff. We were a little bit disappointed. We were expecting a, a uh, Kanye West man dress. I think I, I can let that go. Although I guess there's big happy news in the new year for uh, Kanye and whichever Kardashian it is. Who's, who's, I, um, I think it's Kim. Kim, yeah, is, car- is yeah. carrying Kanye's kid. You know, a lot of K's there. It's official. Twitter broke this morning when that news <laughs> came out. It's not been back since. That's yeah. one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, the world can't handle that information. That's right. That conception. But it was a late night. It was a great night, Mike. It was the last night of the 2012 regular season. All the drama, all the excitement. We should start with some of the recap and we should start with the AFC. A couple of crucial stories here that panned out. Started with the Texans and the Colts. The Texans a couple of weeks ago looked great. Since then they've looked terrible. This was Chuck Pagano's first game back on the sideline for the Colts. The Colts end up winning it. The Texans lost their number one seed. What happened? I have the feeling that the Texans took their foot off the pedal. They didn't seem to be playing their normal pounding run game with everything else working off it the last couple of weeks. I know Arian Foster was a little bit dinged up, and uh, I think they tried to give him a break. And Ben Tate has barely played at all in, in the past three or four weeks. It may be that they were worried about giving things away, or it may be that Matt Schaub, is, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't quite at his best in this game. Indianapolis had, you know, somewhat, it's hard to say more reason to play for, but in front with Pagano and in front of the home crowd, they did a good job 
of uh, getting to Schaub and hurrying him into a couple of, of intercepts. There's a couple of teams going into the playoffs and, and, and even around the league, out of the playoffs, where you look and, you know, they've got one good receiver and a tight end who can catch, but isn't like, isn't a, a Gronk or Hernandez type who you could actually use as a primary target. And then, and then there's nothing else. So you, you can either try to take that guy out of the game or keep it so he doesn't kill you. To an extent, if you do that with Houston, it's, it's like Detroit's offense. Um, they, they kind of spin their wheels. How important is momentum going into the playoffs, Mike? Because it seems to us that Texans have got zero going into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I'd agree they do, but I'm, I've never figured out exactly how important or what momentum is because there are teams that are willing to sort of take their foot off the pedal in Week 17 and go through a bye week, um, which gives them two weeks off, and then assume they're going to get their, their game uh, back at 100%, and there are some who just won't do that. Who want to keep, who want to keep the uh, the string going, as it were. Uh, there's some who, if they get the bye week, you know, really need it for the uh, the extra rest to repair players who are injured and to do the extra prep. I think it's sometimes overrated, but there's no question that teams that enter the playoffs on a roll have a certain amount of swagger, say, when they go into the game, and and that makes the game between Seattle and Washington, in in some ways, the most interesting. You know, not to jump ahead, but but both those teams are on winning streaks. Neither of them's lost uh, in the month of December. The Texans actually did this last year. They lost their last game heading into the playoffs as well, but um, they managed to get a handle on things and then win the game. So, so maybe they know what they're doing. Yeah, and you know, we look at, at Gary Kubiak and, and and the the sort of slowness that the Texans have had in in getting over the hump, as it were. You know, because for what the past four seasons, we've always said that Houston was the dark horse team. Looked like they were ready to to cross over and become a quote unquote elite team, and, and they always seem to to come back from that point. And, and it reminds me of one of those guys, like in baseball, who needs a second year at each level as he moves up through the minor leagues, and just to to figure it out and and get it back and. The odd thing is when you see teams that have dealt with injury, uh, like the Packers and to, to an extent like the, the Cowboys, like the Patriots, and then you see Houston, that loss of Brian Cushing seems to still be something they haven't really been able to deal with. How good are the Colts, Mike? Now, Chuck Pagano was back on the sideline for the first time yesterday, which pretty much guaranteed they were going to win. Um, but how good are this team? Yeah, I don't think they're very good at all, and which is why I actually picked Houston to win that game because they do have trouble stopping the run under normal circumstances. Their defense isn't that great, although, as I say, Vontae Davis had a, had a really good game. A couple of their rookies have really stepped up in the past month. Vic Ballard and um, T.Y. Hill you know, have both turned into playmakers, and Reggie Wayne's had a tremendous season. But I think if you if you can run the ball and if you can get to, you know, pressure, hurry, whatever, Andrew Luck, you can beat them. Um, I you know, I don't see them being favored in any in in uh, any game that they would play in the playoffs. So we'll break down the playoff matchups in a bit, but just in terms of the other games that mattered in the well, you mean like San Diego and Oakland? <laughs> well, farewell Norv. It was a great performance. Um, the the thing there were some weird things. You know, Philadelphia kicked on side to open the game, recovered it, and then lost 42 to 7. I mean, it was like it was a one play game. Okay, we've done that. We can all go home now. Um, it, it was bizarre watching some of these games. Uh, the Jets and Buffalo. Lord knows, Lord knows what's, what's been going on there. <laughs> We're expecting you to answer the question to that, Mike. But you're right. It's like we can talk about the Raiders. We can talk about the new Terrell Pryor era. But, you know, we only have a finite amount of time. Yeah. There's more important topics. There is for this week this week alone. And you're right. But you're looking at North Turner and Andy Reid doing these wacky off-the-ball things when they're out of a job. And Pat Shermer as well. He did some of that stuff. You look at it and you're like... Why didn't you do this stuff when you had a job? Maybe you'd been more successful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a point in the um, Kansas City game, which which um, I, I was watching Red Zone at the time, but they were down seven nothing, and they had the ball at the two yard line. It was fourth and goal, and Romeo kicked a field goal. Of course, that's what you know. First quarter, that's what you do. But this is the Chiefs. You're not going to have many chances to be even with these guys. You might as well take them. And I, I, rec- I realize a two-yard pass is asking Brady Quinn to do a lot. But 
even so, you just two hundred percent more than he's capable of. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> what have you got to lose? You know, you can't be any worse than you are. So you're right, and remember, an onside kick is arguably what got Sean Payton his new contract, being the most high-paid yeah. coach in the NFL. It's that simple. Yeah, and there's an interesting thing too. I didn't check the numbers, but I'm assuming that since the Saints allowed 530 yards of offense to Carolina, they've now broken the record which was set by the, I think it was the 91 Colts. They have so the broken mo- the record. They have. The, Mike Tanier pointed out to me that, that the most interesting thing about that is that Joe Vitt was an assistant coach on the 91 Colts. <laughs> <laughs> He's the stem that binds both of those terrible defenses. <laughs> That's right. Poor old Joe Vitt. Die hard. Denver clinched the number one seed, 38 points to three, over the aforementioned Kansas City Chiefs, who clinched the first uh, pick in the draft in the same breath. How good are Denver, Mike? They're pretty good. I mean, what people don't, you know, everyone concentrates on Peyton Manning, and he's had a great season. I, I keep saying what you have to remember is that this is a team that got to the playoffs last year, not because of Tim Tebow, but in spite of Tim Tebow. Tebow, yes, he, he made a few big plays and won, won some games, and, you know, give him the credit for that. But what you're seeing now is those games that Tebow was winning or other guys were winning with defensive plays and special teams plays are being won in the second quarter by Peyton Manning. And he's, he's not leaving that on the side. They have a good defense, you know, which gets overlooked. And they had a good defense last year, which people overlooked um, in, in the Tebow mania. Josh McDaniels took a lot of stick, but Demarius Thomas... Great draft pick. Eric Decker, you know, looks fantastic as a receiver. Manning makes these guys look better, I think. He makes the line, the offensive line look better. But, you know, they just, they tore Kansas City apart, which, which you would expect. And, and with home field advantage, they're going to be very difficult to beat in the playoffs. They really are. And, and to put it into a context, Peyton Manning, 4,600 yards passing. This is just 41 shy of his all-time uh, season yardage total. It was an amazing season for him. Yeah, and like I say, you know, you think of those um, Indianapolis teams, even at their best, they were teams whose defense, you know, when when they had their best years, their defense was, was basically league average. That's all they needed. They could hold a team to, to less than three touchdowns. They would win most games. If Peyton gave them a two-touchdown lead, the other team had to start passing. That's when Matt, when Mathis and Freeney did their business. They pick up a turnover here and there, and the game is the game is iced. Now he's playing with a defense that, that's better than league average, and he doesn't have to necessarily put his team out in front, although he's been doing that a lot. But it, it's a balanced it's a balanced team with a great home field advantage. He's got Thomas and Decker. It, it's kind of like McCaffrey and Smith at, at Denver in the old days, or but it's more like Reggie Wayne and, and um, Marvin Harrison only they're both big targets. I just, I just think there isn't a team in the AFC I would favor going in to Denver right now. And, and really the only one of the playoff teams that I, you know, I'd be tempted to call it would be New England. Talking of New England, they won very convincingly last night. And I guess the best thing about this victory for New England, and they were never really challenged by the flailing Dolphins, was the return of Gronk. He scored a touchdown. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. He does, doesn't seem to. He didn't seem to be running kind of at, at full speed. But even when he's not, if, like, as as was true at the beginning of the season, he, he's still a weapon for them, and it changes completely because what it means is that inside tight end becomes a downfield threat, and that opens the the defense up. Plus, probably as good as if not better a blocker than than Puumanawanui or um, or Daniel Fells. At the same time, so it gives them that extra, you know, you remember that game at Wembley. They, they were playing three wide receivers the whole first half, and they came out the second half with three tight ends and, and basically ran over the Rams for that first possession of the second half before the Rams could even figure out what was going on. And, and I think it opens up a whole lot for the Patriots. Plus, they're getting healthy at the right time. You know, they had their starting offensive line together for only the, the second time all season. And they are a team that exists on game planning. You know, they'll, they'll use completely different personnel week, week to week with a, with a completely different game plan. And it's just a question of executing. And, and they can do that, I think, because, because of Tom Brady, who I think gets overlooked 
you know, quite a bit when talking about the, the MVP discussions. And in my mind, he's probably a very close fourth behind Peyton Manning as third in, in the MVP, MVP vote. But people don't realize, I think, personnel-wise, how far behind the Patriots are in some senses. You know, it, when you look top to bottom, offense and defense, and they still they still manage to go 12-4. and four. People get greedy, right? They expect it. They expect these wonderful things. And when it happens so consistently, they just expect it to happen. But I think you're That's right. That's true. That's true. They pay the price of that, and I think Belichick does too. When people talk about you know coach of the year and things like that, you know they they got three sacks from Justin Francis. Yes, who's Justin Francis? You asking us? We don't know. Well, I'm just saying. You know, that's the thing. I ask the people who vote in the MVP awards who's yep. Justin Francis. None of them will know. You know, an undrafted free agent. You know, they they, man, they managed to scheme to scheme themselves into those positions. They and um, early in the season they had a few problems, and you know they could easily have been 14 and two this year. There's only one game that they really got beat bad, and that was the 49ers. So I think that kind of wraps up the AFC, Mike. And we're going into Wild Card Weekend. And the good thing is, people, we're now for the next couple of weeks, we've got games on Saturday nights and Sunday nights. It's brilliant. It's, it, these are the best yeah. weekends of the NFL season. Just, just quickly, um, it was funny watching Baltimore-Cincinnati because you did get the distinct impression the Ravens were, were – well, obviously they were resting guys because Tyrod Taylor played most of the game at quarterback and Bernard Pierce was, was the running back. But you, you almost got the feeling when they went with, with a fake punt in the fourth quarter when the game was there to be won, they didn't really want to win it. <laughs> it was like I think I got the sense they would rather play Indianapolis um, next week than, than rematch with Cincinnati once again. Yeah, you thought that. And it was. Well, well, let's get into the matchups and let's let's talk about why. Okay. Let's talk about why that was. But let's let's start off with the Saturday night game. So this is going to be kicking off around about 9:30 GMT Saturday night primetime Saturday night slot. People, the aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals are going into Houston to play the Texans. Mike, how do you see this one panning out? It's funny how you know Cincinnati is basically played very well, or no, they they've had very good results down the stretch to get themselves into the playoffs without actually playing all that well particularly offensively they're another one of these teams they have one it's a one receiver offense with a a tight end is probably their second best option and they don't necessarily run the ball you know as well as the other teams as well as the other teams that are in that that situation so a lot for them depends on dalton being accurate and on aj green obviously having having a big game houston is a good enough team defensively i think to take a lot of that stuff away. The question is which Houston team shows up because the Bengals' defense has played exceptionally well and not gotten, I think, enough credit for that, although Mike Zimmer's probably going to be a head coach somewhere next year, and that'll be a reflection of how well they've played. Mike, I wanted to ask you this question. What do you think is more important in the playoffs, having a strong offense or a strong defense? It's the perpetual question, isn't it? I used to have these great arguments with Jim Kreiner about you know, whether – uh, offenses win games or win seasons or whatever. If you have a, a top-flight defense, you look back at say Tampa, uh, the Ravens, both in the early, you know, about ten years ago, mm-hmm. the, both those teams had tremendous defenses, you know, up there with the with the all-time best. And if your defense consistently can keep people to 17 points or under, you don't need that much offense to be able to win. If you have the big offense and you run into an off day, your quarterback's biorhythms are off, you know. You're <laughs> Christian Ponder's gotten married or whatever, yeah. or a few guys don't make plays, then all of a sudden, if that, you know, if you're a great offense can, can score 21 on a team that gives up 17 a game, you're still not guaranteed the win. And, and I think that's, that's why people say the, the good defense will win, but it has to be a great defense. And what you get are teams like the Giants. When the Giants beat the Patriots, it was because they were a relatively balanced team. They could play very good defense, if not great defense, but they could play the kind of defense you needed to stymie a high-powered offense, and they could play just enough offense of their own to to work the clock, control the clock, keep the game low-scoring, and and make the and hit the big plays, which is what Eli has done best throughout his career, is to make one or two big plays at times when, when he needs to do it. And the clock is a big thing in that. It's 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 why the Bill Parcells type coaches and and it's why the the uh, Ravens team. If you think back to Jamal Lewis, they wanted to slow the game down to give their defense time to play to give the other team's offense fewer chances to beat them. It's why the Patriots run hurry up right now because they want those 
extra chances to beat you with their offense. I don't know if I answered the question. It wasn't quite a yes or no. But, you know, the thing is, when you say can a good defense beat a good offense, it has to be a very good offense. It has to be a very good defense. And then, and then you get in, you, know, you get into, and, and what's more dangerous is if you have a, a weak side of the ball, you know, that can, that can be, that, that uh, can be victimized by a team that has a good offense or a good defense. Viewers of the NFL on BBC Channel 4 and Channel 5 over the years will be used to Mike Carlson evading those answers without a direct yes or no, so it's totally yeah, I mean, fine. I, that, it's because they're not really yes or no questions. Sure. It's more, it's more complicated. Moving on to the Sunday night wildcard game, the Indianapolis Colts, at the Baltimore Ravens. This is going to be kicking off Sunday at 6. How do you see this one panning out, Mike? I'm assuming that the Joe Flacco, who plays pretty well at home, shows up in this game. Yep. And I'm I'm assuming that um, Jim Caldwell can can keep their offense at least at least turning over. You know, and they did a pretty good job the week before last uh, of doing some of the things that they haven't done a lot this year, you know, mostly with Cam Cameron, the offense seemed to be run the ball, take a downfield shot one on one at Torrey Smith, you know, just trying to beat his man deep and then throw a swing pass or, or a screen to Ray Rice. There have to be more creative ways to use a guy who is a threat like Torrey Smith to him with Anquan Bolden. They've got a couple of tight ends who can catch the ball. And Rice Rice is a tremendous weapon. You know, so they ought to be able to do that. Their defense is not what it used to be, but I still think it's a good enough defense to to keep the Colts in check. I'd be picking the Ravens in that one. Jim Caldwell does seem like a key figure in this. And in the NFL, it seems to be less like British football, where going up against old teams really seems to matter because the way people move around um, is a little bit different. But going up against his old team, the team that got rid of him, he seems to be a really key player in this matchup. Yeah, and you know, I don't think there's going to be that much that Jim Caldwell can tell them about what the Colts do because it's a completely different Colts offense from when he was there. And and with the best will in the world, when you're Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator or even worse, his quarterback coach, you, you've got a very limited job description. You get good at making the tea. Yeah, <laughs> Peyton pretty much does what he wants. And you could say that there are coaches who would kind of use this as as motivation to fire a team up, but. You know, Jim Caldwell, I don't think, is that kind of guy. The Colts po- with Andrew Luck pose a different challenge than, than the old Colts teams. The main thing that Jim Caldwell brings is simply a relief of that frustration under Cam Cameron. You know, I, they came out at the start of the year, that game they did against the Patriots, where they played a bit of hurry up. Uh, Torrey Smith had a huge game. Again, it might have been the emotional thing that, that carried him along because of his brother's death in that, in that, um, in that game. You thought, this is, this is what the Ravens should, should be doing. You know, they've got that good defense. The offense should be able to open up and, and make plays on the side. And then Cam Cameron reverted back to the same old Cam Cameron. He, it's kind of like he's the East Coast North Turner. Oh, that's, that, that's a bad name to be tagged with. There's, a, there's only one North Turner. Let's not get too crazy. <laughs> there was only one North Turner. He's, he yeah, could be in the funny. Path, I mean, uh, he's being, you know, the rumor mill is, is having him show up as an offensive coordinator in all kinds of places. Oh. be interesting. To, to watch that <laughs> like the back so of a Volkswagen <laughs> so far he's still in a job you can't say the same for Romeo Cronell Mike Tannenbaum and uh, Pat Shermer yeah it might I mean Shermer's a tough one because the, the Browns showed a few sparks toward the end of the year but he also didn't dem- you know he demonstrated time more than once during the season that he wasn't a particularly savvy game coach which you know it was almost like seeing an, uh, a clone of Andy Reid dur- during the games, uh, which is, uh, you know, Andy Reid's strengths, I always thought, you know, it were team building, basically, and, and the overall stuff. But he was never that great of a game coach in terms of controlling controlling a game or taking advantage of the opportunities. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens in Dallas now, too, after last night's game, because it looked like Jerry Jones's head was about to explode in the, in the box there at uh, Landover. Let's go straight to that game. Let's talk about it. It was on yeah, Super. How can you? You know, it's like Schadenfreude is is a dangerous emotion, but it, it's almost impossible to feel to not feel it when you watch Jerry Jones suffering there in, in the box <laughs> until you then see Dan Snyder <laughs> celebrating. It's, it's like there is no there is no good there is no good possibility. There's no equilibrium there, is there? Exactly. No. You want them kind of both to lose, but yeah. It was an amazing occasion, and putting those two key protagonists to a side for a second, if we can, 
There was a game that took place on the fields. The Redskins, 28. The Cowboys, 18. Did the Redskins win this, Mike, or did Tony Romo just blow it at the last minute? I, I think the Redskins won it. There was a moment in the second half where they they ran a pass play and Romo threw an incompletion um, in, in the face of the blitz. I looked at it. I looked at it on, on the screen. I said, where's Des Bryant? Bryant was, was off the field. He was in, in the locker room getting an injury looked at. We might have missed that because it might have been said before we came back. That's been the story for me of the Cowboys all season is, is you know injury after injury. And I think they actually did a pretty good job of simply getting themselves in the position where they could win and get into the playoffs. And I think it's kind of unfair to lay it all, lay it all on Romo, although he had a very Romo-esque kind of game. But he also got them... Into, into that position in the last month. He, he played pretty well. Washington was selling out defensively to the rush. To me, it speaks to not only Romo's sort of inability to know where it was coming from, and there was more than one time when he and his receivers were not on the same page in the face of the rush, you know, where, where guys weren't where they should be um, as hot reads. But, you know, it's also Jason Garrett. I mean, if you see if you see that they're blitzing, they're vulnerable. If you can, you just have to figure out a way to get rid of the ball and get it in the right place, knowing that your offensive line is is pretty bad. I mean, sucktastic basically. But we have to give our props to the running game of the Washington Redskins. It, amazing stuff. I mean, Al, Alfred Morris. We talked a lot during during the show about you know, Mike Shanahan's ability to to spot running backs. And, you know, no know the qualities that he wants in his offense. And, you know, even think back to the last couple of years, they weren't very good. But, you know, Roy Hellu and, and Royster, guys like that had their moments in that. But, but I don't think they, they got a, a fair shot in the sense that they didn't have a quarterback. His judgment of quarterbacks seemed to be really strange, you know, thinking that Rex Grossman or John Beck or someone like that was going to get them through a season. Now that they have a quarterback and – to, to, to the Shanahan's credit, they've adjusted their offense to take advantage of, of what he can do. Alfred Morris looked like, you know, Terrell Davis in his prime, basically. They know, they knew that Dallas was depleted in the front seven, terribly depleted, and it got worse during the game. And, and basically they, you know, they challenged Dallas to stop this guy and they couldn't do it. I think it's always great to put these records in a context. And if you think about all the, Great running backs that have played for the Redskins over the years. John Riggins, um, Timmy Smith, but a bad example. But Alfred Morris, 1,600 yards in one season, 200 yards in the game and three touchdowns. Again, you've got a great running game. You can win these games. Washington oh, yeah. look great. Yeah. And, you know, that's – it'll be – I'll be very interested to see what they what they do defensively against Seattle because Seattle's a, a sort of more balanced team. Uh, than Dallas, and strangely enough, Russell Wilson may be a more heady quarterback than than Tony Romo, but they were willing to to assume that they could control the ball and the clock um, with the running game between between Morris and Griffin. Griffin didn't didn't pass all that much in this game, and he wasn't didn't look as accurate as he has through most of the season. That's going to be a lot harder to do against Seattle. I don't think you could go in with that gameplay against Seattle because that defense is very, very good. It is. Now, Seattle didn't look great yesterday, but it was a strange matchup for them. But over the last three weeks, they've looked like the best team in NFL history. (laughs) This is the game that the neutrals wanted, Mike. Russell Wilson against RG3. Prime time. It's going to be on the late game next Sunday. How big is this game going to be, Mike? I, th- I think the hype is going to be huge, um, given that Andrew Luck plays in the early game the same day. Um, that the rookie quarterback stuff will, will be great here. Here you've got three rookie quarterbacks and poor Joe Flacco, <laughs> yeah. which which is one way of, of of looking at the whole story. Um, the interesting thing with Seattle is I don't think people realize, given that you know St. Louis has has a limited offense and that Arizona has no offense at all how good those two teams' defenses turned out to be during the season. And that the the NFC West was a tough place to get a win because you've got the two really good teams are both more or less ball control teams, or at least Seattle was until the last month of the season. They went up against constantly against teams with very good defenses, which is why San Francisco, for example, 
was unable to beat St. Louis this year. You know, it's a stronger division in that sense than than people realize that. You know, if there if there were a quarterback in Arizona and a better offensive line, maybe in St. Louis, they it'd be a different story. But rookie quarterback, I mean, I, I still find it impossible to even choose a rookie of the year. You know, it's it's really hard to sort through what these three guys have done, and I think unprecedented in in the history of the NFL for for three rookie quarterbacks to take their teams to the playoffs and play so well doing it. I mean, you know, Ben Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl and made some plays, but week in and week out, he was being severely protected by the by the Steelers. You know, he, he threw the fewest passes of any quarterback in the league um, his rookie season when they went to the Super Bowl. But but as the season has worn on, these three guys have stepped up more and more. And well, Luck from the start, really, and Griffin from the start, but, but Wilson uh, more and more, and, you know, and are, are playing – like veteran, you know, top quality veteran quarterbacks. They really are, and we've spoken a lot about this. And obviously, you have over the weeks you've been doing Channel Four, Mike. And I think for us and for the the viewers of this sport, it's so exciting because everybody loves seeing new talent. Everybody loves seeing exciting new players doing unpredictable things, right? And this is why we've never seen this before. We talk about these three rookie quarterbacks who've been great. Uh, we can throw Alfred Morris in the mix as well for Rookie of the Year, even though he's not going to get it, but he's he's been excellent also. But also, we've had these guys, and we spoke about it on the podcast before. Colin Kaepernick, he sat all last year, kind of a rookie. Nick Foles has come in and done quite well as well as as a rookie. Why is this, Mike? Why is this? Why has this changed so much? And is this the way things are going to pan out for the future, or is this year just a one-off? Um, it, it's. It's a good question. I think it's I think it's a one-off in the sense of of the quantity of guys who've done well. I think there's an element of the pro game adapting elements of the more wide-open college game, um, and there's also an element. Think back to last year. Cam Newton was doing all of this stuff last year, and everyone was going crazy. Um, and Newton Newton really had a a sort of in and out season until until uh, the last few weeks of the season because what Carolina did last year there was no training camp and they put Newton in and they basically gave him a reduced version of their normal offense normal NFL offense to run and he ran it really well um, you know he made the throws he had to make he made them from the pocket which is which is crucial uh, to success consistent success. And he also he also ran when he had to. Ran. This year they they had all that practice time, and they had seen you know they, they they knew what some of the trends were, and I I think they tried to channel their whole offense through him, having and having spent what was it forty million dollars on James Stewart and D'Angelo Williams, they they basically turned them into adjuncts to Cam Newton. And running. another turn on Mike Tolbert. Don't forget that. Yeah, and Mike Tolbert, yeah. So they made these three guys into adjuncts to Newton running the read option or whatever, which which took away their, some of their strengths. And it wasn't it wasn't really till the last month that they turned they started to turn their offense back. And by then James Stewart was hurt, but you know D'Angelo Williams started to have the kind of running games that you would expect from him because they were running him more in a standard uh, standard way, and and that left Newton free to go back to making plays as a quarterback rather than as a single-wing tailback, say. Um, so I think sometimes teams might might look to overdo that. But last year you had a number of very talented quarterbacks and a number of very mature quarterbacks, I think, too, which is something. Um, Tannehill hadn't played a lot because they they played him at wide receiver some for some of his career at the size but but you had you know you had um Whedon who was not only you know old mature in the sense of being older but it had had a lot of starts Foles had had a lot of starts they so they were guys with some experience um in college even if if not the the uh, raw talent uh, of the top three guys and um I think that's that's a big part of the equation. You don't feel that you're taking a huge chance by sticking them in at, at uh, quarterback the way you would some rookies. And I think it helped Tannehill that his college coach was his offensive coordinator in Miami. Moving on to the other wildcard game. It's a repeat of an absolutely fantastic game. What a great way to end the regular season prior to the late game. Last night, the Green Bay Packers versus the Minnesota Vikings... Mike, this is one hell of a game. Yeah, it, it, I mean, the game yesterday was fantastic. I, 
just sat there and watched it, you know, with red zone on one and, and this game uh, on the other. Um, Adrian Peterson, to me, is completely amazing. Um, he's a better runner now than he was before he hurt his knee. And according to everything I knew up to this point, he should still, that knee should still be working itself into normality. You know, he, he should be a more limited runner. He actually seems to be quicker laterally when he's going east-west than he was before the injury and, and his burst from that. So he can, he can, he can run side to side and see the opening and burst through it so quickly. Um, I, I'm just amazed. And, you know, the, the, to me, there were a couple of big plays in that game, but, but the one that really got me was when they ran the ball on third and 27 and got a first down. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like the Ray Rice 20, you know, 29, third and 29 uh, catch where, where there was an obvious clip that didn't get called and the referees spotted the ball badly. He just, he got this legitimately. You know, no, no penalty. Um, just working. And to me, that, 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 that's insane that, that they can do that. And, you know, if, if Ponder can just make a few plays, um, and they're, they're, you see how they're, they're, they're working right into the offense now. Um, you know, um, kind of the way that as a kind of gadget, Gadget player trying to hide him and, and, and sneak him around the way they, they used the way they used to use Percy Harvin. If they can do that, um, and if their defense can play as well as it did, because the Packers' offensive line still is a shall we say work in progress. Yep. Um, you know they sacked Rodgers five times, and Rodgers is one of the hardest guys in the league to sack. Um, and then Rodgers is the other side of this equation because, to, yeah, AP would get my. MVP vote. Mine too. I think. But mm-hmm. Rodgers would be a fairly close second. I agree with that. Because, because he's carried that team in almost the same way AP has. You know, he hasn't had a running game. He hasn't had an offensive line. Their defense has been decimated. It's the wrong word because decimated means 10%. The defense has just been riddled with, in, with injuries throughout, throughout the season. They haven't been able to play the way they, the way they want, would want to. And he has taken them to 11 wins, and I find that, you know, fantastic. He he was fantastic yesterday. It was it was kind of like, um, you know, was he going to was he going to find whichever guy, what's his name, um, Jordy Nelson, AJ Jefferson, right? Because they were picking on him. Yes. So was he going to find who AJ Jefferson was on and get the ball to him before he got clobbered? And, and that was kind of, that was kind of the story of the whole game. It really was, and as a spectator, you were watching these two guys at the absolute pinnacle of their craft, going at it, and the result of the game was in both of their hands for, for either team, and I think that AP didn't make the record, and you know, and that's disappointing, but I think as a neutral to watch it, I think everybody was more pleased that he won the game than he broke the record, because that yeah. meant more to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was feeling the same way because, you know, when it was looking as if the game might go to overtime and, and then the funny thing was, you know, you could, you could almost hear Eric Dickerson for the rest of his life saying, well, he broke the record, but he needed an extra quarter to do it. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he broke off that 26 yard run and that set them up for the field goal. And I'm just thinking, well, if you, if you say to him, you want that run back so that you can have an extra quarter to, get the record he would say no of course and you know i just found that fantastic and again that was that was the key when they needed it green bay could green bay could not could not stop him they could um, and his interview with michelle Tafoya after the game was just box office and if you haven't seen it have a look around nfl.com on youtube you've got to see it just when they tell him he's nine yards short of the record he and his reaction was oh what oh really oh it's a shame he had no yeah. idea he was so in the zone what a competitor yeah. You know, and I think you got to give them, you know, they, you've got to give them a lot of credit um, for how for how well they played uh, when they when they had to this year. Uh, and Christian Ponder, you know, what they need from him is pretty much what they got in this game. It didn't make mistakes, um, although he actually made a mistake. And how M- MD Jennings, you know, didn't intercept that touchdown pass to Jenkins, I, I'll never know because. <laughs> It, it must have gone through both of his hands and his arms and his chest, and, and Jenkins made made what turned out to be a great catch. And now, when they go back to Green Bay, you know Peterson's going to get his yards one way or another. And you wonder, 
you just wonder how home field advantage will play out because the Packers, you know, basically are seven and one at home, and the Vikings are three and five on the road. I will say this about yesterday: uh, Christian Ponder actually managed to throw the ball downfield more than he has all season with four throws over 15 yards, which I think deserves a round of applause because yeah, he really threw that far. You know, and part of that is they're another team. They don't have a, a wide receiver who's a, who's a real threat. You know, no no defensive coordinator is going to come in and game plan to take Jenkins Simpson out of the game. Um, so they did a nice job of getting right open for that. You know, for that long uh, the long pass that he caught for the uh, for the touchdown. And Ponder, as I said, what they want from him, what they need from him, is not to turn the ball over. You know, that's kind of the that's kind of the predominant predominant thing, and if he can give them more than that, um, that's great. But they haven't given him a whole lot of weapons to work with in the passing game. I think Rudolph's probably his best receiver, and if your tight end's your best receiver, you're you're probably in trouble. That was the 2012 season. We've got wild card playoff weekend starting next week. That's another season in the books, Mike. What's your overall reflection of the season? From our point of view, it was a great one. Massively entertaining. In every NFL season, I think, there's always the off-field stuff that that threatens to uh, overshadow the on-field stuff. This time it was it was probably the replacement referees at the start of the year. And, you know, and, and in fairness, if, if the fail Mary was called correctly, Seattle probably don't make the playoffs this year. Or, well, they don't based on what happened after that. Um, I got to say, my highlight of the whole season was Mark Sanchez's butt fumble. <laughs> it's going to live on forever. It's going to live I, on forever. I, I just, I'm just glad I stayed up long enough to watch it. Because, um, well, you know, we were at the, we were at the um, number one sports bar. Yes, we were. Uh, for, for that. And, um, you know, it was at that moment, I think, that I realized that we had severely misjudged the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> and that this this really was sort of the Titanic with an outboard motor on the back, uh, spinning around in circles and going down going down the drain quickly. For every AP, there'll be a Mark Sanchez, which I guess that's, is the beauty of this league. That's true. My suggestion last night, actually, when someone said, where do you think Tim Tebow will be next year? I said he'll be the head coach in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that the, the Jets, to sort of repair their image, should go on hard knocks again this year. And uh, let people see what's really going on inside that that organization. Well, that that's been the real question the whole time, and and the last week it, it's almost as if everyone was jockeying to to shift the blame to somebody else. But obviously there was some sort of disconnect between Tannenbaum and Rex and Tony Sperano, which didn't necessarily focus on Tim Tebow. It certainly must have focused on the whole quarterbacking situation. And I would just love to know. You know, for someone to stand up honestly and say, "Look, this was my decision to go out and sign him, and this was his decision not to use him, and it was his decision to refuse to use him correctly when we did use him." You know, and in my mind, I can I can kind of set the guys in the in the roles there, but I don't know if that's true or not. And you know, it to me that more than anything uh, um, symbolizes the Jets' season. Is that you go out and you you make a big splash and you get a lot of attention, but you have no idea of what to do with the thing that made the splash for you. You, you really don't. So that was so that was the last night of Channel Four coverage last night, Mike. Another successful season on Channel Four. We thought. How do you think it went? Oh, I, I think it went really well. Little technical things. We moved the studio that we we do it in because it has to be done in HD now, and I was really worried that my face in HD was going to be more than the television audience would be able to bear. It's enhanced it, Mike. It's enhanced the experience. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've been watching Kev the last few years and we're starting to worry. Yep. And, um, you know, it's it's nice to be doing it with Nat because I, I think we have a you know a really good rapport because it's the late night game and, and because Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels do such a good job of calling it, it means I, I feel much less pressure to analyze um because I hate to keep saying, as Chris said, or, you know, Chris got this right, or, you know, he, he beats me to the telestration so often, he, it, it gets very he frustrating. He does. His dissection of the DeMarcus Ware, 
the way he was playing in the running game was just brilliant last night. Yeah, no, he, he, he sees things really well, really quickly, explains them really well. Um, so that, I think, gives us a little leeway which to do what we've always done, which we did on Channel 5, is, is to have a little fun uh, with it. And, and, you know, if people are going to stay up late, um, I think they, most of them at least, appreciate that. Um, and we, we've gotten much more interactive this year. Um, in fact, there's been some games where I've, I've literally tweeted during the game um, and kept up. And, and I find that that actually, that actually works pretty well. Too. So um, I don't know what, what people know, but um, my understanding is that both the BBC and Channel 4 contracts end this year. Um, and so there will obviously be negotiating going on as to what happens on terrestrial television uh, for the upcoming season. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very, in, in one sense, happy with most of the way that things are um, right now. In, in the, I'm privileged enough to be able to do both. BBC and Channel Four. We do them in slightly different ways, but um, but it means you know it means we're covering most of the things. And you know it'd be great to do live coverage of Wembley games or uh, playoff games, and um, it'd be great to do the Monday night game in the same sort of studio setting that we um, we do for cha- for uh, the Sunday night game on, on Channel Four. But you know, but overall, at least the games are there. You know, at least the stuff is there, and and uh, I think that's good for the for the fan base. The, the more that's on. Some sort of, of um, accessible um, TV, the better the better off the game is. Absolutely, and the more people that watch this sport, and it was great seeing last night because this was the first time really of the whole season where people didn't have to get up on the Monday. So yeah, what I've... you found was, which was great, and you know, obviously a few people were um, using it to their advantage on the alcohol, but the amount of people interacting online seemed. Considerably higher than it has done in recent yeah, weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure our weight ratings the last two weeks, you know, will be will be the best ones of the season. Um, and it also helps too that NBC get a shall we say preferential position from the NFL on on choosing their games. And, and not even that, they have the best deal in sports. Yeah, I think so. You know, they pay much less than ESPN does for the Monday night game, and you know. I think it's the Sunday night one is worth a whole lot more to them than, than Monday night is. To, well, the thing is that the economics of cable television it makes it actually worth a lot to ESPN. True. But um, but they get you know they get a great schedule of games. They get the opportunity to flex um, in the in the last part of the season, and we benefit from that uh, because we haven't had we haven't had many bad games, and we certainly haven't had any that looked bad on paper, apart from maybe that Philadelphia. Um, Dallas game, and that actually turned out to be at least interesting. Mike, it's New Year's Eve. It's the last day of 2012. It's been an amazing year, not just in the NFL, but sport in general. The year as a whole, what are maybe what's maybe your one highlight you remember? Maybe from sports as a whole in 2012. I was asked. I was asked this. Um, I was asked this question on uh, the BBC World Service yesterday morning. I was doing their weekend program, and. They asked what my personal highlight of the year was, and actually my personal highlight and probably the, I wouldn't call it a highlight, but but my my sporting memory of the year, the biggest one, are, are tied in because my personal highlight was was my son recovering from a, a horrible accident that he had in, in New Zealand in February, and um, recovering well enough, you know, so that he's 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 got all his mobility and everything is fine, and. He came up to the Olympics where I was doing play-by-play on basketball for the BBC, and I snuck him into the commentary position before we started, and got got to put the headphones on him and talk to him through the headphones and all. And um, so that was kind of like my personal highlight of the year, to just to have my my son there with me. Um, but probably my my big moment of the year um, came in in, in that uh, tournament because. I got hit in the head with a basketball kicked from the court by Pablo Prigioni of Argentina after the oh, Argentina. You found the culprit at last. Oh, I knew. Yeah, I, I, I was told who it was, basically. Um, and I did try to get some kind of recompense from the Argentines. But being Argentines, they weren't particularly interested in that. Um, and um, they, they'd, they had beaten Brazil and... and um, you know, I was I was standing with my you know not facing the court. I was facing John Amici, who was doing the the color commentary, and we were wrapping up the show. And all of a sudden, I heard John go "Hello," 
And just as I started to think, why is he saying hello? This basketball smashed into my head, um, right on the right on the ear on the headset, um, and I went ow, and then and then the ball had bounded back into the uh, press row in front of me, and a couple of the guys who I knew, you know, basketball journalists were were throwing the ball around and laughing, and I thought they had thrown it at me or or that it had slipped out. But so you know, I, I well, it's up there on it's up there online. Uh, angry commentator. The BBC used that as day twenty-two of their advent calendar on BBC Sport Online. So I have now I am now part of an advent calendar. And how many people can say that? So Channel Four's finished. Let people know right. how they can still hear your punditry, stay in touch with you over the playoff period. How are they going to be able to get their dose of Mike Carlson over the next couple of weeks leading up to the Super Bowl? For the next three weeks, I'll be doing the BBC's playoff highlights program, which will be aired on a, on a Monday night um, with with Matt Roberts, although it's basically the same production team otherwise that, that produced the, um, the Channel 4 show. And uh, then be doing the, the uh, Super Bowl with the BBC live, from New Orleans, uh, we're going Whoa. back out on back out on site, which is you know wow. fantastic for me, obviously, and I, I think it's fantastic for the show because the first two Super Bowls that we did with the BBC, we, we went to Phoenix and we went to Tampa, and I and I think the energy level is just so much higher. It, it just makes makes for a much better program, and um, so that that's all good news. And um, Nat and I continue to do the AmeriCarnage podcast which you can find at americarnage.co.uk they're all up there we've been doing it for two years now um it's kind of silly but it's fun and a great um, listen yeah you can um you can you know follow me on twitter which is carlson sports or christmas dinner it was carlson's port ports <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, either either way, uh, you, you'll find it there, and and I, I I tend to be a fairly active Twitterer now, which is a bit worrying, I think, in terms of my long-term sanity. Mike, we want to wish you the very happiest of New Years. You guys too, and um, I guess I'll see you um the bash for the conference championship games on on that Sunday night. Yes, you will. So. <clears throat> The championship bash is back for, we don't know who's going to be there. It's the 20th of January, number one sports bar, quickly becoming London's spiritual home. Inye, myself, Mike will be there. Yeah, come and, come and uh, hang out with us. Tickets are still available. It's the best night of the season. You get to see two great games, lots on the line. You saw Mike at the Thanksgiving bash. He'll be hosting it in the only way that he can. Come and have a drink with him. Have a, come and have a drink with us. So, yeah, Mike, we'll see you then. Yeah, look forward to that. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a happy new year. Cheers, Mike. Thank All the you. best. Shout to Mike Carlson, incredible guest. Dropping pure science for an hour there, people. There you have it. What this guy doesn't know about the NFL and American sports in general doesn't need to be known. Summed it up perfectly, James. Summed it up perfectly. It's all about playoffs next weekend. We're going Saturday night. We're going Sunday night. We are going H-A-M on that. Also, don't forget Monday night is the BCS game. Notre Dame against Alabama. That's going to be a great matchup. Three consecutive nights going late on that. We will be there at the number one sports bar. In here myself. Tickets still available. Just 10 quid to get yourself down there and experience a huge spectacle of college sports. We will be down there as well. So if you're going to come down, come and say all right to us down there as well. We have been North London 40 and we will see you next week. Enjoy the playoffs. Take care.